Greetings and salutations, one and all. Welcome to today's episode of Risk and Reals. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wheatman, and today we are honored and privileged to have my buddy Bob Maley joining us. Uh, Bob is the Chief Security Officer and Acting CIO for us at Black Kite. Uh, he has a long and storied career, and I will let him uh, introduce himself momentarily, but uh, just wanted to thank Bob for joining us. Uh, I know he's a super, super busy guy and far more important at Black Kite than I am. So Bob, say hello. My pleasure to be here, Jeff. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm not going to get into my long and storied career because it would take up all the time of your podcast, but uh, uh, it goes back to the last century. So, uh, um, All right. Awesome. So before we talk about cybersecurity and third-party risk management, we're going to do our movie segment. So uh, here is my question for you, Bob. Um, Star Wars or Star Trek, and why is the only good answer Star Trek? Go. Well, there is no good answer. You're trying to complicate it. You know, you look at at, at those two universes are kind of like third-party risk management. It depends. Are you talking about the original Star Trek, uh, all the different iterations, uh, you know, Star Wars, uh, all these different things. So I can't really say which one is my favorite, but I can tell you that last year I did go to a program in Florida where I got to go into this cave and build my own lightsaber. So I don't know what that tells you. Uh, see, we we did the lightsaber build when we took my daughter to, to Disney a couple of years ago, too. Um, I never said Disney. I so- said in a cave. <laughs> Well, okay, but we know, yeah, but uh, yeah, they they did a spectacular job with the with the Star Wars setup uh, in in Orlando. Uh, it's unfortunately the lines are absurd. I saw a guy a guy posted on Reddit uh, yesterday. He showed up at the park five minutes after they opened, and there was already a three hour wait for one of the rides, which is yeah, not not all that fun. But I'm glad I so, built a lightsaber, so, so that's all I can say. <laughs> They, well, so what'd you do with the lightsaber, though? See, I think about those things all the time. And in my head, I have a conversation with my lovely wife. That's cool, honey. What are you going to do with it? And I never, ever have an answer. So I end up not pulling the trigger on those things. It's mounted on the wall right behind my screen. All right. Because uh, Otherwise, I would have uh, samurai swords on the wall from my trip to Tokyo, which in the middle of the night, I decided that I was going to not I, have anywhere to put them. I have a custom so. forward samurai set. <laughs> Very, very nice. Very nice. So um, so before we started, uh, we were talking a little bit about about Star Trek and, and Star Wars. And, um, you know, I think a lot of it's a generational thing. Right. When we grew up, um, Darth Vader was the bad guy. And, you know, Star Trek was this thing and it's morphed over time. And the generation after us they actually learn about Anakin and they see him more as a fallen hero, I think. And, and I think that, um, you know, hero discussion, I think is really, really interesting. Um, I mean, you and I have talked a bunch of times about storytelling and how to communicate. And one of the things that I think is always useful is, is helping people understand the hero's journey, right? The, the, that sort of archetypal storyline and I think the big mistake that people always make is the CISOs think they're the hero of the story and they're not. The hero of the story is management or executives or board or CEOs. We as security people are the, the hermit that provides the magic weapon or the knowledge 
that helps people kind of build. And I think it's it's eye-opening when you say that to people because, oh, you know, because everybody thinks they got hired because they're smart. And that is part of the reason. But at the end of the day, there's a business problem that that we need to solve. And I think that if you look at Star Wars and Star Trek, there are great business problems that need to be solved, right? In the Star Trek universe, there's no language barrier. Uh, we don't have these religion things, unless, of course, you go to the planet with the with the uh, with Frank Gorshin, if you remember that episode. I do. <laughs> where he's half white on one side and half black, and they have this battle that destroys the co- the whole planet over which side should be should be which. Well, and, start, and I think the, the original that, though, you have to admit the original at the time it it brought a lot of of things that were not really meant to be in the public to to present problems in society and address them in a in a sci-fi show that was i think uh yeah because you know, if you go back and you look at the originals today uh they're kind of hokey actually uh but when they were first broadcast oh, don't say that they're so important but they, maybe they're it's good hokey. they're good but they're hokey that doesn't mean that they're not good but when they were in context uh, when they were first yes. broadcast, you know, it was groundbreaking. It was something very, very different. So, you know, for me, that's the, that yeah. value, uh, you know, Star Trek, uh, good stuff, you know, you know, fun adventure. But yeah. The, yeah. No, I, I agree. And, and, and the one thing that people don't talk about as much is it, that was the first primetime interracial kiss ever on television. Yep. yep. Uh, when, when Spock and Uhura uh, were Who? forced by the, by the Spock and Uhura. Kirk, weird gods. Kirk, no, no. The first interracial kiss was what? was Kirk. Uh, we got a bet on this bottle of whiskey. Okay, okay, all right. You you may be right. I, my memory's not what it was, but so <laughs> so I think so. I think I think this is actually really kind of an interesting um, sort of pivot point, right? So you know you have that background in third party risk management, and that's you know the area that that we play in uh, in Black Kite. And I think one of the challenges, and I actually want to start here, is is around awareness of what the problem is, right? We've talked a bunch of times, third-party risk management used to be quite simple. If legal was okay with the contract and finance thought the partner was going to be in business for the length of the contract, we were good. That is no more. So over your time, you know, running that program and now running the program as, as CSO for us, what have you seen as changes in how the programs go and how the business problem is stated. And I think we can build from there. Well, I, I think the problem over time, it's, it's typical uh, cyber people, compliance people. What we do is we throw more process and procedures uh, at a problem, something that used to be simple. And uh, I wish I knew the attorneys you're talking about because I knew very few attorneys that ever said, oh yeah, this contract is okay. There were always red lines. Um, but you know, given that it's, it's morphed into something and I, I, I've spoken about this. I, I did, uh, uh, last year, a presentation, uh, at the federal reserve bank in Chicago about, uh, you know, what we have built up is a very complex world of best practices. You know, what, uh, everybody thinks they need to do in order to make an effective third party risk management program. And so that's what they do. And they find out that they don't have enough time, uh, to do everything. Uh, they're overwhelmed. Uh, they usually select uh, a group of vendors to focus on because they can't focus on the entire uh, pool of vendors. Um, and in reality, if you look at uh, you know the adversary, what they've done in that same period of time, and when I say adversary, I mean the bad guys who are hacking through third parties, is 
the numbers tell us one thing, that they are winning and we are losing. So those best practices, I think, are very broken. Yeah, we, we talked about this briefly on one of our internal calls about the whole concept of, of best practice. And year, years back when I was in consulting, my first engagement manager said, don't, you're not allowed to use that term in any of our deliverables. Best practices get that way because they solve a problem. Let's talk about the underlying problem. And I think to your point, the problem today is different than it was 5, 10, 15, 15 years ago. And, and to be fair, I am giving attorneys the benefit of the doubt. Eventually, they do sign off. Um, but I think, you know, I think one of the things is that the impact of the posture of those third parties has exacerbated dramatically. I mean, just think about cloud as an example, right? We're seeing consolidation among the big cloud providers. So things like concentration risk and, and cascading risk, where those things are now becoming much, much more important. And then one other thing, and then I'll, I'll pause. So I actually just wrote a blog about communicating supply chain risk, cyber piece to the board. We know those folks know it's a problem. I don't always think they understand the why. And, and I think that's one of the things that we are, are challenged with, right? So over time, what's, what have you seen in the awareness around, yes, this is a business problem that we need to be thinking about, as opposed to this is just a checkbox thing well, I think the fundamental problem is most people really have a misconception of what risk is. Um, and from the very beginning, they build a program on something that uh, isn't what true risk is. You know, think about it. Uh, uh, think about a bald tire. What what risk does a bald tire present? Any? No. Could the car doesn't handle properly, uh, or you could get a flat tire, or you could hydroplane. Right? Those are all things that could happen. Well... No, because you have added context to the bald tire that I didn't. The bald tire is uh, hanging on a rope on a tree branch. So what's the risk now? Well, that's, but that's not fair. You didn't give me all the information and I have to make a decision. Okay. So no, so, I agree. And I think that's a, that's brilliant. But think of the ground underneath the tire is nice and smooth. Uh, the rope is fairly new. So what's the risk now? Um, that there's a bee's nest in the like, that could That could be cascading risk. Um, but uh, <laughs> we'll think now, now we're going to move that tire and the tree branch is now hanging over a ravine with pointy rocks at the bottom and that rope is frayed. Has the risk increased? Has the risk increased? So I so I know the answer because you and I have been through a lot of the same trainings. But so so what, I think what would most people I think say? this is actually a great exercise though. I, this is a great exercise though because I I don't think to your point people are thinking about it this way, right? They're looking at just this thing. So yep. Well, all right. Yeah. So what is has the risk changed? It it doesn't because it's all about the value of the tire and the loss of that tire. It's almost worthless. There's no risk. And, you know, I, I, I liken this back to how people look uh, when they start building a program and they look at vendors. They, they go on, they, they risk rate the vendors to see which ones they're going to spend all their time on. Um, and they use an old concept called inherent risk. You and I have talked about it before. You know, what, what is, uh, what, what's the risk that if there were no controls in place um, and that's always 
enormous because if there's no controls in place, you're getting breached immediately. We all know that. So when you do that, when, when you start your program, you build it so you're no longer understanding what risk is. Risk is loss to your organization. And in, in third-party risk management, it, it, it's a very specific scenario. What's the loss to your organization through the use of this third party if something happens? It's the combination of understanding what that is. And if, if people could build their program, understanding that from the very beginning, it's a foundational understanding that you could then take that limited time and effort you have and focus it on whatever you want to build for a program on those vendors that really, really do present real risk, so, real loss. That's a great point. Um, and the way I always see it, and I, I want to hear your thoughts, is that there are a number of different kinds of potential business impact, right? If we collect PII or PHI and we store that in this third party and they get breached, well, that's one impact on us, right? Because no, nobody cares. No, nobody remembers who the third party was that yep. Home Depot got breached through, right? Everybody remembers Home Depot. So we are ultimately responsible, right? We collect that data. But then the other one, and this is one that we've seen a big uptick, and I think this is actually more significant, is the operational impact, right? If somebody in my supply chain get hit, get hit, gets hit mm -hmm. with ransomware and they're not operational for a week, how long are we impacted? And the answer is always longer than a week, right? And that's the one I think people aren't really paying a lot of attention to. Typically, um, yes. And and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts because that's definitely changed over time, right? It used to be much more binary, for lack of a better term. And now I think that pool of risks has expanded dramatically. Well, of course, because yeah, we've, we've outsourced. The difference in outsourcing today, uh, if you look 20 years ago, everybody had their own server farm. Um, you know, the cloud was, um, you know, oh, just somebody else's computers up there in the cloud, um, you know, and that has morphed. It's become, a, 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 you know, critical to, to functionality, uh, to deploying services, and it's now embedded uh, in business. And, you know, that I think has changed, uh, but, but risk really hasn't, and the problems really haven't. You know, you, you talk about ransomware. Um, it, you know, ransomware happens and it becomes, uh, the latest thing to talk about it. It's a, there's a, a, a presidential executive order, uh, CISA comes out with all the things that you should do to prevent ransomware. Well, all those things you should do to prevent ransomware are the things that they've been saying for 10 years. Those things haven't changed. Uh, it's how people implement business and, and trying to understand that. In third parties, it's hard enough to understand it in your own organization, but understanding that in third parties, you know, the ability to be able to have that view into a third party to see that that's a value when you're building a program. And that helps more than just, you know, because there's multiple third party risks. We, you know, you talked about it. There's cascading, there's concentration, there's cyber, there's ESG, you know, and on and on and on. Uh, but but in reality, can you unless you're a large company and you have a, a, a big staff that you can actually focus on all of those things. How does a small organization do that? Well, it goes back to understanding, well, 
of all those potential risks, which ones have the biggest probable financial impact to our organization? And right now, uh, and it has been for quite some time, cyber incidents, uh, you know, whether that's breach or like you talked about, you know, the, the reduction of that operational technology that that vendor can no longer provide whatever it is, product or service to you. Uh, you know, that's the value today. And we, 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 we need to understand that, 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 yeah, I, I understand that all these other things are very important, but most companies can't address all those things. You have to focus on what's the most impactful to you right now. And with your small amount of resources, what's the biggest thing you can do to reduce that uncertainty of where that risk is going to hit you. That, that's, that's the, All right. the love, early love that. And I love your, your, what you just closed with about uncertainty. I had a, a CISO that I used to work with for many years and um, we, I used to go in front of their board with him quarterly. And he said, risk for us, and they're, they're an insurance company. Risk for us is the uncertainty and inability to hit our, our objectives. Right. That was a very, very simple way. And, um, you know, a bunch of years mm -hmm. ago, I did a presentation on the myth of the chief risk officer, which is still somewhat mythological. But the first thing I did was I went to Google and I searched definition of risk and I got 10 different definitions on the front page. If we can't even agree on what this thing is, how do we agree on how we're yeah. going to manage it? Right. So, Bob, you, you hit on something interesting that I want to explore a little bit. So you, you talked about how organizations have this wide range of, of partners and vendors and elements in their supply chain. And most people have don't have the ability to, to really look at all that. So how, what are some suggested steps that you would give to people to you got a thousand partners? How do you know who to look at? So. Yeah, and again, it depends on, uh, you're asking a complicated question because we have an audience that they could be in an organization where they really have no resources uh, or an organization that may have something. So, you know, the first thing you do is uh, you understand what your resources are. So if, you, if your uh, company has procurement already, great resource, uh, I recommend taking those folks out to lunch. Uh, you know, if it's remote, uh, do something, get to know them first. Uh, personally, because they can be a huge resource for you because uh, they they know uh, they're the ones that if something's going to get purchased, it goes through purchasing. So that's a great place that you can uh, tie into, uh, see what they have. They already may have a platform uh, that uh, does a basic type of uh, procurement vendor management that might have some options to help you understand where you want to focus your world on. And, you know, that's the next step is to focus for your world. Uh, what does that mean? Well, uh, most companies are, are uh, involved with some type of data sharing. So they either have a vendor that is processing data for them. Uh, they send data to marketing, for instance. Uh, you know, they may have uh, a company that does work for them, uh, you know, analysis, uh, whatever those things are. But, the, you know, the key thing is they have access to your data in some way, shape or form. Uh, the second one is, does that vendor have access to your internal network? And this is where a lot of people miss SolarWinds. SolarWinds was a, a software product that uh, didn't touch your data at all, but it lived inside your network. So you have to understand that should have been in somebody's scope. It was it was classified. And, as, and it was not only inside the network, but it was trusted to trusted. be inside the network. Yeah. And it was and it was classified as medium risk. Yeah. A lot of companies, they, they oh, medium risk. Uh, 
So, you know, that was a mistake because they, they put a term risk on it, medium, which is qualitative, which didn't really tell anybody what the real risk was. So um, let's, let's kind of go back to very beginning, Bob. So somebody says to you, you know what, Bob, you got a lot of experience. I need to build a third-party risk management program. I don't have anything. What are, how would you get someone started, right? We talked a lot about the ins and outs, but from start to finish, how, how would you suggest somebody spins one of these things up? So the very first thing I just talked about was understanding that pool of vendors that you want to look at. Um, then, you know, this, the second step in that is to understand uh, what is the, the, the real risk that those vendors pose to you. Uh, just because they have access to data uh, doesn't mean they're high risk. That's, that's one of the challenges is that, um, that classification base is, okay, they have data, they're high risk. Well, no, they have data. Uh, they should be in the pool of vendors you're going to look at to understand what the risk is. Uh, and do an assessment. I, I recommend using something like FAIR, uh, Factor Analysis of Information Risk, because that moves away from that qualitative view to a quantitative view, and then start going through and, and looking and understanding out of that initial pool of vendors that you pulled out that met the, your classification requirements, which ones really have the biggest probable financial impact? All right, so now you, you have a place to start, and you start with those at the top. Uh, the ones that have the biggest threat you want, because the goal here is we want to reduce the uncertainty about the, the total third party risk that our organization faces. And that's a good way to do it is you start with the big ones first. So now what do you do next? And here, here's where a lot of people, they, they get into that best practice mode. Oh, well, we have to send them a questionnaire. Um, and okay, why? Um well, because that's what best practices say. I need to, to, to get information on all these different controls. Well, there's some value in questionnaires, um, but the way you get that information, I have a different approach to it. When I assess a vendor, um, first thing I ask them is, oh, well, have you been through this process before? Do you already have things that you have produced in a previous assessment? Do you have a SOC 2 available? Do you have an ISO? Have you filled out someone else's questionnaire? Do you have something that you guys use? Do you have an information security policy that I can see? And gather information that way. Um, and then uh, use tools that, because if you have to sit down and, and analyze all that, that's one of the biggest problems is when you collect artifacts is how do you analyze it? Get a tool that can actually analyze it for you and show you where the gaps are. Uh, and then focus there. and that process with that fair assessment, you'll be able to get a really good picture of, okay, well, is, is the risk of using this vendor within our company's appetite? And everybody says, oh, I, I don't know what our company's appetite is. And um, okay, you, you and 99% of the, the TPRM people I know, they, they kind of have that uh, angst about risk appetite. They know, they know what it is, they know what risk tolerance is but they're not really familiar with how they can get somebody at their company to help them understand. And I, I found a really easy way to do that. Um, if, you know, I'm looking at a vendor and it's, it has significant financial impact. Um, I always go chat with the business owner of, of that vendor. And I sit down with them and I show them my assessment and I go, here's, here's the risk that using that vendor presents to us. Now, I don't know the value that vendor brings. A business person does. And at that point, it's like, okay, well, 
is this acceptable? Or do you want to accept that risk? Uh, or should we look at a different thing that we, we need to do? Do, you know, do we need to transfer the risk to insurance? Do we need to add control? Whatever it is. It starts a business decision because very rarely is somebody, an executive, going to go, oh, yeah, we'll accept that risk. <laughs> that usually doesn't happen. They always say, well, what else can we do? Which is what you're looking for. They're asking a question of, yes, you're now going to be an enabler of that business unit by helping them do what they need to do in a fashion that will be more secure for your company. And those results of that, you know, what can we do? We don't have enough time to talk about all the things that you can do. Um, you know, one of the worst things that you can do is try to take a, a, a mallet and hammer that vendor into getting better uh, with their cybersecurity because, well, that might happen for a little while, but then the process goes on and, you know, why they got bad in the first place is going to happen bad again. That, that's To me, that's the last thing that, that I would choose to do. There's a whole bunch of other things that you can do, but that, that starts that process. And, and then rinse and repeat, you know, to your next vendor. Depends on how much staff you have. If, it's, if you're like most places, it's, uh, you know, three people, me, myself, and I. Um, you might have a, an additional one, but now you can start taking the time that you have and actually having a productive process, a, a productive assessment that really and truly does help you reduce that uncertainty about the risk. And, uh, you know, in the end, that's what the board wants to know. You know, they don't care about high, medium, and low. You know, they care about, well, what's, what's the risk? And when they say, what's the risk, they're not looking for high. They're looking on what's the loss? What's the impact to our bottom line? That's what they want to know. And that's, that's the shift getting TPRM folks to talk in that language instead of high, medium, and low. I tell people all the time, your board cares about three things, money coming in, money going out. If something goes sideways, who's getting in trouble? That's it. We can summarize yep. those. And you can dig and dig and dig, but you're you're absolutely spot on. Um, so so let's just spend a couple of minutes talking about uh, tooling and instrumentation, right? You talked about process, you talked about people or the lack thereof. We can build the best process ever and have all of these great workflows, but to manage it manually, it it's too much for for most people, right? Especially if you have hundreds, if not thousands of, of partners. Um, so and you and I have had numerous interesting conversations about GRC and the whole conceptual thing there, right? And, and let's face it, right? We don't want to beat on those platforms because they enable people to do things, but there are other things that need to be done first. So let's, wh what do you see as sort of critical tooling and instrumentation to, to get this thing going or to mature it if you already have it in flight? Well, uh, this is going to be a commercial. I, I, I can't help myself. Uh, you know, I, I am a consumer of the Black Kite platform. Uh, I'm not in the C, I'm the CISO. Uh, my team, we do all this work. This is what we do day to day. You know, we, we assess people, people assess us. So they, I'm coming from a perspective of how did I build it? What did I do at Black Kite? I, I started with Black Kite in the seed round. And literally it was one person doing all this. That was me. Um, and, you know, what the platform gave me the ability to do, I talked about some of the things is uh, I can find out the vendors pretty easily uh, of, of the ones that fit in that pool, you know, the data vendors, et cetera. That, that was the easy part. 
once you have that, what, what's the next thing you do? And, and for me, it was, I ingested them into the Black Kite platform because we have that ability uh, to look and produce uh, a, a fairly accurate and no pun intended, fair assessment that lets me rank the vendors so I can see which ones are going to be the biggest impact. So that's where I started. That's where I could spend my time. It gave me the ability to have those, those business discussions. Uh, you know, VP of sales wanted to do uh, an implementation of a platform that, that had a pretty significant uh, financial impact. And as predicted, uh, he didn't want to accept the risk. Um, he asked that question. Well, what else can we do? Oh, well, there's other, uh, you know, this particular company, everything uh, that they provide, they, they provide uh, a la carte. Um, and it's like, well, if we have field level encryption, if we have field masking, if we have security logging, if we have these additional components, well, that changes this whole picture. And he goes, well, how do we get those? I go, oh, you just contact your account rep. Here's the exact things that you need to buy. You need to buy. It did not come out of the information right. security budget. And we solved that business problem. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that was getting started. Now, as you mature, uh, there, you know, obviously that uh, there's more process involved, um, and you know that that move to GRC, uh, and, and there, there's a ton of good GRC programs out there. We have a lot of good GRC partners. I'm not going to talk about any specific ones, uh, but you know, for me, it had to be a platform that had an integration with us because I like having all the data in one place. Because in the GRC platform, there's some automation uh, when you know the auditors come in. Uh, you know, we do SOC 2, uh, Type 2. Uh, we're undergoing FedRAMP audit right now. So when we're doing those types of things, the auditors want to see, you know, system of record. And, uh, you know, when you get to that point in business, that was a great place to do that. So that integration um, and it's, you know, those artifacts I talked about collecting the SOC 2. If I need to do a questionnaire, you know, collect those. Go in the GRC platform. The integration allows me to bring them back into into Black Kite. So it, it's it's moving, uh, you know, starting from ground zero with a platform that lets me do a lot with little. But then as we mature and the company grows, then you can move into that more mature space, keeping up that integration, the automation uh, to allow, allows you to do more. That's why, uh, you know, we, we have a, a huge client. They're, they're doing, uh, they went from six weeks to do a, a initial assessment to, to six hours. Um, you know, by that, using that integration between a GRC platform and Black Height, it's just, you know, amazing. And that's, that's where I see the whole growth getting started from nothing and you will mature. And as you move forward, you always want to be able to build on what you've already built. All right. Awesome. So, um, any last tips for third-party risk managers out there? Um, yeah, um, I don't know why anybody would want to come into the field because uh, it's crazy, um, but it, it can be very rewarding. Uh, you know, if the program is built correctly, um, you know, and you, you develop the right relationships with those other groups, you know, in, in your company, um, it, it, it can be astounding. Uh, you know, at, at PayPal, we did that with uh, uh, the attorneys that we actually built something um, that was extremely valuable, not only for the attorneys in the organization, but for third party and for those companies that we were hiring and the contracts that we were sending out to them. So yeah, there's tremendous amount of work that can be done. There's a lot of uh, success you can have. Um, but you know, the, the one thing is really get 
and understand the difference between a qualitative view and a quantitative view, the definition of risk. Learn that and build everything you, you do with that in mind. That would be the, the number one thing to do. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Bob. Uh, it was a pleasure, as always, chatting with you. Uh, so let's just do a little bit of a recap. Um, Third-party risk management is hard but very rewarding. Uh, we still didn't really decide whether we like Star Trek or Star Wars. We seem to actually like both of them, and I'm perfectly fine. But there, there, there's other options in there you didn't give me. You know what? Next time you come back, we can talk about those. So, all, all right. right, Bob. Thank you so much. Um, thank you all for joining. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay secure. This has been another episode of Risking Meals. Have a great day, everyone. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Risk and Reels, a cybersecurity podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to riveting 30-minute conversation about movies and cybersecurity. Jeffrey will be on the road this year at some of the industry's biggest events, but you can always find him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Jeffrey Wheatman. This podcast is powered by Blackkite, the only security rating service to deliver the highest quality intelligence to help organizations make better risk decisions.